It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, on uh, what's been a kind of a busy 24 hours for the Bucks. Last time we spoke, the trade deadline passed. The Bucks didn't make any moves. And then within 24 hours, one of the guys I know, you've certainly uh, put early claim to you know, Marvin Williams potentially becoming a Buck or what that would look like. Uh, the Bucks made their move, and and while it's not official yet, it looks like Marvin Williams is set to join the Bucks. And then they also had a game down in Orlando earlier today, as we record here on a Saturday night. Uh, I I wouldn't say it was <laughs> the most uh, crisp performance from the Bucks, but they still, as they seem to do on most nights, come out with a double digit win, and it was uh, business as usual. Yeah, a uh, weird, you know, weird time for a game Saturday afternoon, four o'clock. I, yeah. I think we always, uh, you know, highlight the fact that Giannis doesn't seem to necessarily enjoy the no nap days uh, with the early starts. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely not a, a banner offensive night from Giannis. Eighteen points on six out of seventeen. I think he went over four over the last fifteen minutes or so of the game, but. Um, you know, balance scoring from the starters in particular tonight. And, man, Orlando, uh, <laughs> I mean, they've been a team that has, you know, I hesitate to say underachieved because it's not like we thought the Orlando Magic were going to be, like, the fifth seed or something. So, I mean, in, the, in some sense, like, they kind of are where 
you kind of would expect them to be in sort of the grand scheme of the standings. But um, they're just a team where it's just very easy to see that their lack of offensive cohesion, their just lack of offensive skill, uh, whatever, just it, it, they just, you know, hamstring themselves with their inability to, to score on a lot of nights. And I mean, we, we've seen them have games and, and have strings where they actually shoot the ball well. And, you know, Fournier has been kind of a perpetually seems to, to shoot well against the Bucks. Terrence Ross has had some big games. But, um, you know, tonight, Aaron Gordon, 0 for 6 from 3. Nick Vucevic, 0 for 7 from 3. Overall, just 10 out of 40 for the Magic. And, you know, Bucks 15 out of 39. Anytime the Bucks are plus uh, 15, from the three-point line on the same volume, you're going to expect the Bucks to win that game. And, uh, you know, they didn't necessarily, as you said, have the Christmas game overall. You know, Giannis, not, not necessarily a game to write home about. Scoring, did have his customary now 18 rebounds, nine assists, a couple blocks. Um, but uh, Brooke Lopez, great to see Brooke uh, having a little bit of our mean reversion game with 23 points, including five out of five from three. Uh, Bledsoe at 18. Middleton, 21 on 15, and 13 rebounds, six assists, two steals from Chris. Um, and Wes Matthews, four out of 10, including four three-pointers. He's been shooting the ball much better of late. So not a lot of contributions from the bench, but ultimately starters really gave them all they needed. And uh, they had that you know, bit of a swoon there in the kind of late third quarter, early fourth, where Orlando was at least within shouting distance. But overall, um, yeah, I mean, this was another kind of, I don't want to say ho-hum, but, you know, again, the, it just sort of grinded out double-digit easy wins that the Bucks have made a habit of getting all night. And, you know, that's now four out of four in the series against Toronto this year. Or, sorry, against uh, Magic this year. So, I, I will – there's a couple of numbers I want to get to here. I just want to quickly say that uh, a couple of our friendly listeners pointed out, Frank, about uh, wondering whether one of us had a baby rattle. <laughs> if there was like some noise in the background i honestly i like i can i can hear that again but like i said to the people it's not someone like with a nervous tick like rustling some paper or something like that me and frank are a long way apart and uh occasionally i don't know i, I don't know what happens what, what would you describe it like a gremlin of the internet I don't know. I don't even think I I, I. I often listen to our podcast after the fact, but I don't. I don't know if I listen to the one where where people mentioned uh, hearing this. But no, my daughter is fast asleep right now. Uh, it's <laughs> it's eleven forty on Saturday, uh, Central Time. So we are social animals, uh, as you can tell by the fact that we're recording podcasts at this time of the night. So uh, I'm not in like a Latin dance club or something where uh, someone is is. Uh, has maracas or anything like that. So I, I hope uh, it, it seems very quiet where I am, but uh, yeah, um, I, I guess who knows. That, that's totally fine. I kind of wish that you were in some sort of Latin nightclub. I feel like mm. that would be a, a much cooler story than the than, podcast like said, studio. Yeah. Both of us sitting home and nearly at midnight on Saturday night, but a few funny numbers from this one. And first of all, you mentioned Brooke Lopez five for five from three. And uh, I thought it was fitting that uh, I pretty much came out and said that it's just not going to get any better for him. This might be what we're looking at for the rest of the season. Uh, I'm going to stick with that because that seemed to work uh, against the Magic. So, uh, Brook Lopez, we saw early in January, uh, we had the conversation where he had a couple of games where it's like, okay, maybe uh, this is starting to turn around. And then it went back 
uh, to the struggles that we've seen. But he looked confident tonight. I thought the shots were good. I, I know you mentioned yesterday on the or a couple of days ago, last time we spoke, that the, the some of the shots he takes are still <laughs> like they. He was making them last year, so you're like, okay, fine. This year, when you're shooting under thirty percent, they don't look like the best shots. But he hit them uh, to, against the Magic, and and first time he scored over twenty points for the season last year. Uh, he scored over 20 points 12 times. So uh, it's been a long time coming for him to have that uh, offensive outburst. And it was it was really fun to see. But you mentioned Giannis with the nine assists. So uh, our friend Justin Superbuck, the meme lord, uh, asked the question because it does feel like... And, and Giannis chases the assists. Like, we know that. Anyone that tries to deny that Giannis is out there trying to get that 10th assist, Giannis himself says that he never knows that he, how many assists he has, but he knows. You can tell. You watch the way he plays, he, he's searching to get that 10th assist, which is totally fine. Everyone does that. But it seems like every time he gets to that 9, the Bucks automatically start missing shots. Like, they just could not hit anything. And uh, tonight, tonight, uh, today, as you mentioned, 19 points, 18 rebounds, finished with the nine assists. Uh, that's the sixth time this season that he's been stuck on a nine assists when searching for that triple-double. No one else in the league has had that happen to them more than twice. So uh, if it feels like Giannis is always getting stranded on nine assists, then that's because uh, it's happening three times more than anyone else in the league. He always seems to be uh, in, that, in that zone, which is a little rough. But the other noticeable thing, you spoke about uh, Giannis struggling, I guess, to, to finish. I mean, six for 17 for him, and he doesn't shoot a three. So we've got used to seeing on those inefficient nights, maybe he shoots one for six from three, one for seven from three. Wasn't the case tonight. Did not even attempt a three. And, and I just thought that the Magic, I, I don't know what they are as a team in terms of they just have a bunch of random guys put together. But defensively, they've got a number of guys that can disrupt disrupt uh, guys getting to the basket in the paint. They've got shot blockers. Uh, this was without Jonathan Isaac uh, in, in this game. But 16 turnovers for the Bucks, five for Giannis himself. And it just felt... I, I can't remember a game where the Bucks have been stripped that often going to the basket. It just felt like uh, they were having real trouble once they got in there. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy mums and dads, first responders, and elite athletes like myself, whatever your activity level. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in the gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds and thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Don't pay a ton for Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under 1000 bucks. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A to learn about their limited-time free Apple iPad and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon. It's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. 
Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, I, I thought Gordon did a pretty good job like in the first quarter. Uh, Giannis didn't have his first field goal until the second quarter. Um, but it wasn't like he was missing a ton of shots. He was just kind of denying him and, and yeah. he settled for a couple of um, kind of like hook shot, kind of like push shots in between, in between yeah. type shots. And I, yeah, he just didn't look like he had any comfort level um, shooting the ball today. I mean, you look at his, his shot chart, um, everything he made was in the restricted zone. And I think he missed uh, at least three shots at the rim, uh, including, I mean, again, some of them were semi-contested, but, um, he missed some tips uh, that, that kind of maybe overstated his, his inaccuracy a little bit. Um, but just some kind of, I don't want to say bunnies, but just finishes that you expect him to make. Uh, and he also missed uh, five more shots that were outside of the restricted area. So he missed all five of his shots outside the restricted area. These were not long shots. Nine-foot hook shot, uh, 12-foot jump shot, which I think he airballed. Uh, 10-foot shot, 8-foot jump shot, bank shot, 12-foot tur- turnaround shot, which I hated to see him settle for a baseline fadeaway when he co- wasn't able to make any kind of jump shot. I mean, that was in the second half. So, yeah, it just didn't seem like he had any feel today. I- ironically, he was 6 out of 8 from the foul line, so that was, you know, at least a little bit better than, than normal. And um, I think it was our listener, I think uh, Mike Chandra, I think Mike's, Mike's name is, um, pointed out uh, last game that he kind of went to like a five dribble routine on his free throws, yeah. which um, I don't, I mean, normally he's like eight, nine. I mean, it's not like that. He's always the same. Cause he's sort of like hunting for like almost a rhythm when he's dribbling. And he's kind of one of the reasons he talks about why he dribbles so much and takes so long is he's sort of trying to like settle himself, catch his breath. Um, but uh, yeah, these last couple of games, it seems like he's been, kind of doing these like this five dribble routine, which he's hit nine out of 12 and six out of eight, the last two games. So, you know, again, in the, you know, annals of uh, overreacting to Giannis free throw shooting success and failure. uh, Here we go again. Uh, We'll see if uh, (laughs) this latest uh, slight blip in the right direction is, is anything sustainable. Um, But, you know, and again, I think most of us would say uh, in general, shorter, a shorter routine, more consistent would presumably be a positive thing for him. But again, who knows? Well, I'll leave it at that for now. But, uh, but yeah, just kind of a, a weird night finishing for Giannis, which to be honest is partly why I, I didn't mind him kind of assist hunting as much because uh, right. like shot hunting wasn't really seeming to work out very well. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I mean, his, his three point touch has not been great for what seems like a couple weeks now. Um, as he's kind of trended back down a little bit in terms of his three-point making. He he hasn't hit more than one three in a game since uh, the 18th of January in Brooklyn. Uh, and so he's he's definitely been kind of trending in a downward 
downward uh, kind of direction there. Since that game, one out of five, 0 for 1, 1 out of five, 1 out of five, 1 for 1, 1 out of seven. And today it didn't take a single three, which um, I'm trying to look at this box score here. The last time he did not take a three-pointer in a game was last season, I guess, because I'm, yeah, I'm not seeing any. No. Yeah, it's the first game of the season where he didn't yeah. try a three. And he played 34 minutes today. I mean, interesting, yeah. the last two games – 30, almost 35 and, and 34 minutes. Um, so interesting to see his uh, his minute totals tick up a bit um, with, uh, you know, again, and it, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to kind of see a bit. Obviously, Philly's just a, a kind of represents a tougher opponent, so it makes a little, maybe a little more sense there. Um, but Orlando today, obviously part of it was just the fact that the Bucks and they're up 27 in the third quarter, and then uh, that 13-0 run kind of got them back in it. So, um, you know, Bucks couldn't really afford to just put out the uh, you know the garbage time lineup at any point. But um, even so, we've seen the Bucks play similar games where Giannis plays you know thirty minutes. So interesting to see Bud ramping him up a little bit, and um, curious if that is a, a bit more of an intentional thing or what. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if part. I mean, Hill. You know, George Hill being out, which I mean, again, the fact that they keep kind of pounding out wins with with Hill out is is encouraging. Um, it makes sense that Bledsoe's been playing 30 plus minutes of late. Um, but you know, Chris also played 30 plus minutes the last two games. Um, I'm curious how much of this is maybe in part just due to feeling like you need those guys out there more for, for playmaking purposes. Um, and obviously George has been a guy that, you know, they've for better or worse, haven't been afraid to roll out with an all bench unit. So, um, that's obviously much more difficult to do when, Dante DiVincenzo is essentially, you know, your, your backup point guard. And, uh, you know, we've seen, I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, who was it? Who was the team that, that basically like pressed, was it Phoenix pressed him like 94 feet basically and kind of exposed Dante's sort of dribbling <laughs> the fact that he's not a point guard. I mean, he's obviously a good ball handler for a two, but, yeah. um, you know, we, we've seen, a, 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 again, a little bit, you, you kind of, when, when the, when when you really need Dante to do point cardy stuff, you kind of see okay, he's not quite that. Yeah, I mean the other interesting thing with with the minutes in in this game and uh, like it, it's remarkable that the Bucks still managed to score 111 points because it, particularly in that third quarter they were outscored 25 to 21. That was when when you saw uh, for those that were watching this game there was a timeout uh, late in the third quarter where Bud. He, but was almost as animated as you'll see him. He was really and and the Bucks were leading by I think sixteen points, eighteen points at this time, and Bud was just chewing them out on the bench during the timeout. Uh, there was a bunch of sloppy uh, play before that, and when you do look at the the lineups, the plus minus tells a pretty clear picture of of how this one went. I mean, the Bucks starters, uh, funnily enough, Giannis is only a plus seven in those thirty three minutes that you mentioned, uh, but Middleton plus twenty eight. Brooke Lopez plus 27, West Matthews plus 32. Uh, we touch on him, he had a great uh, game. And then Bledsoe plus 26. And some of the other numbers, Lopez played nine minutes and was minus 17. Uh, Ersan, uh, Pat only played 13 and was minus 17 as well. So the bench guys, when they came in, uh, did not play well. And there was a stretch late in the third quarter. The Bucks were lucky. I mean, they had such a big uh, lead in this one. The, the biggest lead uh, they got was 26 points. Uh, so the game was never really in danger, but it was certainly not a night where the second unit gave you a lot. And 
uh, with with Lopez playing those low minutes uh, and and Robin that is and Brook hitting the threes, it just seemed like one of those nights where uh, not only did they miss George Hill and the, and the impact he's had through the season with his shooting, his playmaking, his ability to just settle things down, handle the ball, and, and run a good offense. Uh, they didn't get a lot from the, the those bench guys at all. This is something, obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about. You would like to think that against a team like Orlando, <laughs> they can they can handle that. But it, but it wasn't the case there. It was a strange it was a strange game altogether. There was another stretch uh, from there was three minutes and fifteen seconds to go uh, in the first half, right through to over four minutes in to the third quarter, where the, the Magic did not score a point, and the Bucks still only put. 15 points on the board in that nearly seven-minute stretch. So it just goes to show that while the Bucks shot the, the ball pretty well from three, which probably helped them uh, score those 111 points, uh, there, there was some struggles today. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, again, it sort of speaks to, I think, a couple of things. One, the fact that Orlando just was really bad offensively, and I think also, um, you know, like, like Fultz. Fultz actually, I mean, 15 points, hit three out of the seven threes. Well, but he was, you know, three out of eleven on two pointers. Ends up on eighteen shots, seven, th- you know, fifteen points. Didn't take a free throw. Um, minus twenty four. And again, th- th- this Bucks defense is just to me like built to make Markel Fultz not look good. Um, because again, you know, he he's got a little bit of mid range game. Um, he's obviously typically not very comfortable from three. And today, even with hitting an uncharacteristic three out of seven from deep, they, they just swarm him so much and, and give you so little at the rim that it, it just makes it very difficult um, for him to kind of really cause problems. Um, we saw Giannis, um, you know, the, the ground he covered to help out and erase a shot when, when Fultz was exploding the rim for a layup, um, I think it was in the second quarter. Uh, that, that was just really impressive and, and you know, just, just tough for him to kind of make it work. and. That said, uh, I mean, one of the reasons this game was maybe closer than um, the three-point numbers might suggest, Bucks only had a plus-six point uh, advantage uh, in the paint. Yeah. And, I mean, I think the easy answer why that was was because Giannis was yeah. not <laughs> dominating offensively the way he normally is, right? I mean, he's been up over 10, 10 field goals made per game uh, for a while. I mean, what, five straight 30-plus, 15-rebound-plus games in a row. And tonight, obviously – um, you know, literally scored half what he did in the last game. So, um, you know, not, not what you'd expect there. But, but again, this is why having that depth um, and especially tonight getting, you know, uh, the best offensive performance of the season from Brooke Lopez, um, obviously uh, that, that, again, that, that's why you like having this, this number of weapons on the floor because it gives you flexibility to, to offset when, you know, Giannis maybe doesn't have uh, his A game. And obviously Middleton just kind of, Maybe the 13 rebounds isn't kind of what Middleton does every night, but uh, but you know 21 points on 15 shots, and again just you know going out and being able to create shots for himself when he wants to, uh, just your typical kind of steady Chris Middleton game that we've become very spoiled and, and accustomed to this season. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. 
Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, and, and you know, the 13 rebounds, also the six assists. I mean, his assist numbers have been right up uh, this season. And there was two possessions in a row in the first quarter, two pick and rolls with Brooke Lopez. The first one, uh, I think Aaron Gordon was the, was the one defending Chris and he, he just walked into, he sort of sagged off a little bit and Middleton walked into a, a mid-range uh, jump shot, which right now, uh, every time, if he's got any space on those shots, those rhythm jumpers, you just think it's going in, he hit that. And then in the next position, uh, Aaron Gordon really crowded him in the same uh, pick and roll. He's become so comfortable as a passer, uh, it's become an underrated uh, facet of his game. He got the ball to Brooke Lopez for... I, I, it, Lopez scored. It was a strange sort of shot. I mean, we get used to Brooke Lopez taking these these sort of odd-looking shots, but he knocked it down. And it was just a, a sign of... I mean, we, we talk about whether at times the Bucks could use some more pick and roll with Chris Milton, whether it's Chris and Giannis, Chris and Brooke seem to be working well together of late. Uh, but that was two possessions in a row that they went to it and got the result that they wanted. And I just think the confidence in Chris Milton as that ball handler in, in those types of pick and rolls, particularly with Brook Lopez when there is a, a, a center uh, on the other end of that defending, uh, I think that he's become so comfortable in his own uh, decision-making, whether it's taking the shot or making the right pass, uh, that that has become a real weapon as well. And them two seem to be working well together. Yeah, I, I think... Um... Uh, you know, we, we talked kind of over the summer about, you know, how do you unlock Brooke Lopez more beyond just as a three-point shooter? And, uh, I mean, I, I've joked that, well, we got our Lopez in the post more through just the fact that, that Robin <laughs> was yeah. signed and, and Robin kind of, you know, throws a couple hook shots up there that tend to go in, um, you know, per game per game as well. Uh, but it's been really important for Brooke, I think, to diversify his game a little bit and, and have that, you know, develop that pick-and-roll chemistry. Um, you know, how many times it seemed like Chris has thrown that just over-the-top pass yeah. for a dunk. I think Bledsoe did a nice job today. He did, like, a Nash dribble where he dribbled along the baseline and kind of circled around, found Brooke patiently waiting um, at the rim. Um, so, you know, again, Brooke developing good chemistry as a role man with, you know, seems like all the Bucks' primary ball handers, I think, has been a very positive development because um, again, it just forces the defense to not just be able to assume he's going to, you know, pop to the three point line and just shoot long threes yeah, yeah, yeah. every, every time. And I think obviously in a season like this, where his three point shots has not been as, as good as certainly he or, or anyone would like, um, you know, it's been a, a positive that, you know, he's reminded us more uh, of his ability to, to score, you know, around the basket. And we saw that, he got, took a little pocket. I think it was, I can't remember if it was from Chris or Vlad, but um, you know, taking a pocket pass at the free throw line, literally just like a fifteen foot <laughs> one handed push shot. Right? The free I mean, throw line, yeah, yeah. I mean, his his uh, his touch is um, is really remarkable. And for a guy his size, you know, we kind of joke about. You want to share how, some of that with Giannis? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, Brooks' ability to like you know 
I mean, he settles for those kind of like weird little, like slightly fading 10 to 15 foot shots fairly frequently, um, even out of the post. And the fact that he makes such a high percentage of them um, is, uh, is pretty remarkable. Um, so yeah, it's, it's obviously a, a major plus that, that he's able to do that. I mean, he's shooting 49% from 10 to 16 feet this season. Um, he's at, let's see, 42% on uh, non-rim uh, paint shots. Which, you know, that's not great. Um, and then doesn't take a lot of, obviously, long twos. Very, very few long twos, but he's made 75%. So I'm guessing that's like six out of eight or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if the three-point shot, obviously, ever gets back to where we expect it to be, um, then, I mean, man, I mean, he's such a dynamic two-way weapon. And, and even still, though, uh, you know, it's not like the Bucks are – struggling to, to justify yeah. playing Brooke Lopez. I mean, his defense has been obviously unreal this season. And yeah, it's, it's nice that it feels like you are reminded more uh, of, of what he's able to do outside of his three-point shooting. All right. So the Bucks, as we have just discussed, beat the Magic 111.95. That's a four-game sweep. And they have now won six of the seven games against Orlando since Bud... Uh, came to Milwaukee and and five of those six wins have come by double digits. So uh, most of that is on the defensive end. When you look at uh, the the point totals for the Magic this season against the Bucks, uh, 91, 95 today, 100 and 101. And in this season, in this era of basketball, if 101 points is your highest point total in a four-game series, you're probably going to get swept. Uh, they have not found a way. Uh, to work through this uh, Bucks defense. And just the one other final mention I wanted to make, Wes Matthews started this one three for three uh, from behind the arc in, in quick fashion. He looked like maybe he was going to have a big night. He, he only went uh, one for five after that, one for six after that, sorry, and finished uh, obviously four for nine. He's just under 50% from February. We've spoken about his roller coaster of three-point shooting through the year. He looks like maybe February is going to be uh, a good month for him. He seems to be knocking them down and, and feeling pretty good about uh, getting that shot up quickly. He's got a quick release. He's not shy to take them. And when he's hitting those threes, uh, we know what he does defensively, but I just think when he's uh, knocking down those threes, it adds another dimension to his game. Because sometimes you just don't really notice he's on the floor uh, offensively. So uh, another pretty pretty solid game for him in double-digit scoring. But uh, we now, uh, I guess is the time we can move on to, I don't know, maybe this, this feels like maybe this is what people want to listen to more than uh, the, the Bucks Magic game. But uh, we spoke about the buyout market. We weren't really sure who was going to become, uh, who would become available in the buyout market. You never really do. And even after the Marvin Williams signing, we're seeing a bunch of other names that are coming out there. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist looks like he might be a buyout candidate. Uh, also, Wayne Allenton tonight. It's just come out from the Knicks. He might be out there. So you're going to start to see some of these names with the Bucks locked down their guy uh, really early here. Or, look, he hasn't been signed yet, but you know it, it will happen in, in the coming uh, day, most likely, once he does clear waivers. Uh, Marvin Williams, the remarkable thing, and I, I know most people that are listening will know this, but uh, the number two overall pick after Andrew Bogut, way back in 2005 and the, the point that i want to bring up it, you know he's he's also joining forces with the 36th overall pick from that same 2005 nba draft yes i know who 
you know, maybe could consider himself unlucky not to go number two in that draft himself. Uh, Williams and Ilya Sober are finally going to be united with the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> oh, man. It, it puts into perspective how, how long Ersan Ilya Sober's been around. Oh, my God. Just, it, yeah, it's he, incredible. Yeah, you know, he, he came here. He played a couple of years. He disappeared to Barcelona for a couple of years. He comes back kind of has his formative NBA seasons here. Then he disappears. Then he comes back. I mean, it's, it's kind of a crazy cycle with him. But, yeah, with Williams, I can't, I can't decide. I heard a couple, saw a couple people say, oh, I can't believe Marlon Williams is still only 33. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of, part of me is kind of the opposite. It's like, oh, man, I, like, I feel like it's just yesterday that, you know, it feels like that draft was happening. That, that draft was sort of the I, – I had leaked – so I graduated from college in 2003, you know, kind of moved to my own place, blah, blah, blah. And um, I think it was in 04 that I got um, – that I got NBA league pass for the first time. So I had gotten it kind of right before that draft, but then – that draft and the excitement of that summer, I mean, Jesus. Bobby Simmons, Michael Red, new contract. Dan Godzerich, six years, $36 million. I mean, who couldn't be excited about it? Okay, we weren't excited about some of those things. But, um, yeah, that was kind of the, the trigger point for me, kind of engaging with Bucks basketball and reading on the internet and kind of becoming a lot more active in sort of the Bucks, um, you know, nascent blogosphere uh, at the time. Um, so yeah, it's funny to think about. It. I mean, I definitely remember the discussions around those two guys. I remember Rick Majerus claiming that you know Marvin Williams was definitely going to be the best player from that draft, and um, of course, ironic, you know, that uh, obviously Chris Paul and Darren Williams, or Darren Williams third, Chris Paul four, those guys, you know, never really even the discussion because of I guess you know T.J. Ford and Mo Williams being around for what whatever the rationale was. Um, so we never really questioned that, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, a full circle type thing, and obviously, probably the thing that you know people most associate Marvin Williams with the last few years. I mean, just seeing him for the Hornets, and you know, being one of those guys that Giannis would tend to uh, sort of help off of, and then have three pointers drained uh, against him because Williams has become definitely a kind of a, in particular, kind of a corner three specialist uh, as he has you know, kind of advanced in age. And, um, you know, again, I, I, you don't want to make too much out of what he's able to do, but certainly defensively uh, at 6'9", you know, call it 235 or so, uh, he's not a huge body, but, you know, it's it's not like putting Sterling Brown or Chris at the four, right, where they're, you know, wings that you're kind of trying to steal minutes at the four sometimes with. Um, you know, Marvin is a, a legit NBA power forward. He can play power forward most nights. And so I think um, giving him a chance out there uh, to give Ursan, ironically, uh, some competition for the backup four minutes. You know, we've seen a number of games where Ursan comes in and doesn't necessarily have an obvious guy he can guard, you know, just when teams go small and teams go more mobile. So uh, having Marvin uh, and the fact that, you know, he's able to be a little bit more mobile, uh, I think versatile defensively, not that you want him guarding wings, but I think he's better able to do that without getting exposed. Um, and then offensively, you know, you can park him in the corner and, um, you know, he'll, he'll make the right play. And obviously hitting, hitting those quick fire, uh, corner threes is, is probably the most notable thing, but you know, look, you can put it on the floor a little bit, even if that's not really his game anymore. So, um, yeah, I think, again, he just lets the bucks have a little bit different look. And unfortunately, I mean, I think coming into the season, we hope that 
he would do kind of, or that, that DJ Wilson would do what yeah. kind of Marvin Williams is being envisioned to do um, for the Bucks for the remainder of this season. You know, as it's worked out, obviously that hasn't happened. Um, and, uh, you know, at some point we can do the, um, you know, the postmortem on, on what went wrong with DJ Wilson's season, but certainly um, it did not seem like he was on his way to getting minutes and adding Marvin Williams certainly would seem to uh, suggest that, yeah, DJ Wilson's role on this team, even though he might have survived the trade deadline, uh, does not seem like he is uh, going to really be able to sniff uh, any type of rotation minutes outside of maybe some you know games where they just rest everybody late in the season. So, um, so we'll see. But I think certainly if in a world where it's, you know, where there is no no option of, of DJ Wilson ever kind of growing into the role we hoped of him. Certainly Marvin Williams is a guy that you can see why he makes sense and um, why he could be a guy that, especially in certain matchups against certain teams, I think of you know a team like Boston or Toronto, uh, teams that I think are going to tend to play uh, power forwards that are more mobile, more athletic than certainly you'd probably want to test Ursan against. Um, you know, those are certainly situations where Marvin Williams could actually be pretty useful, even if he's maybe not the player he was a few years ago. Yeah, no question. I, I just think when I think of Marvin Williams and in that direct comparison to Ursan, it's exactly what you just touched on. I just see someone that can move a little bit faster. And because, you know, defensively, uh, the smarts uh, part or intelligence, the defensive intelligence is not an issue for Ersan. He just physically isn't capable of, of uh, matching up against some of these guys. The matchup you, you just spoke about with Boston, um, you know, if they have all those guys playing with Tatum, Howard, uh, Jalen Brown, then obviously Kemba Walker will play the point guard. Then, you know, Ersan was just one of those guys, boy, it was like, okay, well, if the Bucks do get that matchup, but has really played Ersan all season long, is he just going to get burnt on the perimeter repeatedly every time he's on the floor? So that's what we did worry about. That's what we spoke about. And oftentimes why we wondered why, you know, maybe you wouldn't give DJ a shot, but now you just get Marvin Williams out there. And uh, at this point at 33 years old, he's not going to be uh, completely locking anyone down, but he's, he's just a smart guy, uh, a little bit more versatile than Ersan at this point. But you speak about his three point shooting. Uh, our friend Matt Velasquez tweeted this out earlier this morning, but it sounds about right. If you've been watching Bucks games for the last 10, uh, 15 years that Marvin Williams has been in the league, then uh, you probably have an idea in your head that this guy is an even better three-point shooter than he is. Now, he's very good. He's fine. He's a 36.2 uh, career uh, three-point shooter. So that's that's pretty good over the course of a career that long. That's a, that's a very nice number. But against the Bucks. Uh, in 45 games, he shot 43.5%, uh, 57 for 131 from uh, three-point land. So, uh, yeah, we've seen him uh, bury a bunch of threes against the Bucks, and it probably wouldn't surprise you. I mean, when you think about this iteration of the Bucks, they, they do give up a lot of threes. You think about the previous years uh, where the corner three, as you said, where he's a specialist, uh, was, uh, you know, what the Bucks gave gave teams, handed teams open corner threes, then Marvin Williams definitely uh, took note of that. But I think when I think about Marvin Williams and the fact that he's 33 years old, the reason why that maybe surprises me is because I do compare him to Andrew Bogut and Andrew Bogut feels like he's been out of the league for so long or, or you know, been not at his full capacity for so long that you're just like, ah, Marvin Williams is like going to a contender in 2020 and people are like, wow. 
that's a that's an that's an incredible deal for the Bucks. That that could be something that helped them win a title. That to me is what feels weird about this. But the interesting thing with Williams, we know he was uh, with the Atlanta Hawks for uh, many years, but he hasn't played in playoffs for quite a while. Uh, because he has been in Charlotte. So I couldn't even remember this series. I, I don't know if you did, Frank. When I was looking at his basketball reference page and the playoff games he has played, uh, so he played 42 playoff games with the Hawks in five seasons. Uh, those teams were always pretty good uh, from the, the, the couple of years after he was drafted right through to 2012 when he left Atlanta, 42 uh, playoff games to the Hawks, 27 starts. And he shot 38% from three there with Atlanta. But then with Charlotte, he played seven games and they obviously didn't win a series. So I was trying to remember in 2016, who did Charlotte go to game seven against? I can't even remember that. Can you remember that series? Uh, that was the Heat, I guess. I think, I think it was against the Heat. Did they take them to seven? Well, it wouldn't have been LeBron Heat 2016. No, no, no. Yeah, it was. I think yeah, that, that may sense. have been. Was that the. Yeah, I, I just I, can't I, remember the Hornets in the playoffs at all. That is not a memorable. Uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think I think I remember Kem. I mean, that was like the the Kemba playoff yeah. uh, season, and um, I, yeah, I, I think I, I believe that was against the Heat. But uh, but either way, yeah, I mean, again, Marvin Williams. Not it's not like you're adding a you know, the playoff. He's fan. a veteran. Yeah. He's yeah. he's not a championship pedigree type right. type guy. You know. Not going to explain to Giannis what it takes to win a, a, a you know an NBA championship. Uh, he can reminisce about winning an NCAA title as a freshman at North Carolina, <laughs> yeah. but that's probably not going to hold a lot of weight. <laughs> um, but uh, again, you know, this is really just about having uh, another look in uh, yep. in you know in your back pocket. You know, it's um, I don't know whatever, whatever your metaphor you want, right? Like a different different kind of club to to put in your your golf bag. Uh, if you're a chef, some kind of specialty knife. I don't know. I, I'm not a cook, so I can't can't tell you what kind of knife Marvin Williams would be. But uh, but a little Joey to put in the pouch, Frank. There you go. There you go. Thanks. I made that up. I've never heard anyone say that. I just made it up. But it as like long as works. you can, as long as you can drop kangaroo references. <laughs> um, by the way, I, uh, I I was very excited the other day. I, I just was very amused that you were. Uh, I think we were talking about scheduling uh, a podcast and. Uh, you dropped a crocodile hunter animated gif on me where he's like giving a big <laughs> thumbs up, and uh, that that just made me very happy because I mean, yeah, really, really glad to see you leaning into uh, you know American stereotypes of of, uh, of Australians. So can I just uh, I, mean, can, I just want to quickly jump in and say I was I was I was with Eric the other day, and we were we were getting ready to do something. We were going out for lunch or something. I don't know. We were going to go hang out and get a beer or whatever we were going to do. And he left, and so I was just at the TV, and I was flicking through the channels, and I didn't really notice that I did this, and I've literally never done this in my life. Like I don't like I don't sit around and watch the Irwins, like whatever the TV show is. Like I've I've actually never watched it before in my life. And he like came back in the room or whatever, and I was like kicking back on the couch watching the Irwin like family like tr- capture like some crocodile in the like Australia Zoo, and to because they had to move it from one like compound to another, and. He would just looked at me and I don't know whether he thought that that was just like normal for me, that this is how I spend all my free time watching uh, the Irwin family uh, catch crocodiles, but it was kind of embarrassing for me. But, uh, you know, it just caught my attention. All, all you do you, you, when you get in front of tea, you're just like searching for uh, <laughs> Crocodile Hunter or like Eric Bana movies. Or, Something like that. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I w- 
I was uh, I was trying to think. I, I can't remember why, but I was um, I was trying to think up some some crocodile Dundee puns to use on you, <laughs> and I was kind of just just sitting there thinking about this the other day, and I don't know where to use it, but I'm just going to give this to you, and you can you can do with it what you want. But so I, I guess the framing would be, what defensive strategy did the Australian national team innovate with the crocodile zone B? <laughs> get it <laughs> oh no zone d well thanks for around for no <laughs> yeah please no, I, this is this I, is not where this is not where you ask people to rate and review because this you know, is how we get our one star reviews but anyway yes you should have done this you should have actually said that to me before uh brett brown was in town so i could have passed on that uh message so he could have used that uh, at the Olympics next year, you know, you might have been able to bring that into the playbook. But I, 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 I mean, we normally talk shit at the end so people don't stop listening. But I guess we should quickly, before we wrap this up, mention the guy that's on the way out. Now, I, I, I said this from the start of the season. I'm not sure whether I said this in the podcast, but I certainly mentioned to a couple of people, Dragon Bender, for unfortunate reasons. I, listen, this guy's 22. I think that he he showed a, a really great attitude. For those that listened to the, the interview that we had on this podcast a few weeks ago, uh, he was genuinely grateful for the opportunity to go down and play in the G League, get better, put up big numbers down there, play in the system that he thought really suited him. He's unlucky. He's unlucky to get cut because I think in, in a different situation, he's a guy the Bucks would have liked to to keep around. But uh, ultimately, he was the 2020 version of Christian Wood as in a guy that, Probably has some talent, but he's never going to play on this team. And even this, the second he signed him, we said this, is he going to be on the roster by the playoffs? We both said no for this reason, not because we don't like him as a player, not because we don't think he can eventually be uh, an NBA rotation player. But once you sign Robin Lopez to go next to Brooke Lopez, you have all these other guys. Bud wants to go small. Now he's bringing in Marvin Williams, which is another option at the four. He was just never going to play. Yeah, and it's funny because um, you know I, uh, I, uh, I and I tweeted out a uh, uh, something of Christian Wood put up like twenty seven mm. points or something like that yesterday or something, and you know I half jokingly tweeted out a you know hashtag Woodlands uh, reference to that. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, again, uh, did it make sense to cut Christian Wood for Pau Gasol last year? No, because Pau Gasol like yeah. didn't have any reason to be on this team last year, you know, other than just i guess locker room presence <laughs> right and, yeah, yeah you know we saw pretty quickly he, he didn't have anything to offer on the court and you know as far as you know but him him missing the season rest of the season with that foot injury um mattered not at all and you know i hate to speak ill of the retired but probably was a positive as far as on court for the bucks because i don't think he was going to offer anything um so i mean on general principle yeah i would say that was an unfortunate thing that we would for the Bucks not to, uh, but you're right. I mean, as much as I, I liked Christian Wood and thought he's a talented guy, and I think we're seeing that in Detroit this year, he's been very productive. Um, you know, on a Bucks team that has Giannis, and then after that uh, is looking for you know its bench players to play defense, play hard, and shoot threes. I mean, Wood has added a bit of that. Bender, I think has you know, I think that's a skill. He certainly has more developed skill as a three point shooter than. Um, than Wood did, especially a year ago. Uh, it, it's just tough because, again, the Bucks, you know, they don't have a lot of room to be kind of have a developmental focus. And 
you know, you look no further than, again, DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown, right? I mean, um, and, and I kind of have two minds. I mean, on the one hand, when you're, you know, hunting for a title, uh, you're obviously not going to kind of give charity minutes in kind of a, the sense of, you know, over a long season consistently, you're not going to play guys who, uh, you know, are, are not out there because they're giving you the, necessarily the best chance to win. That said, you could argue, well, the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks are just running away with games. Like they could actually, you know, experiment more with young guys, play them, give them chances. And interestingly, Bender was a guy that actually did get some chances in the last yeah. few weeks to, to actually play. And I, you know, I'm glad that we actually did get to see him on the floor a little bit. Um, I thought that he grew um, notably since the preseason in on the defensive end, and just the fact that he, I guess, watched enough of Brook and Robin Lopez just staying vertical, moving their feet, uh, and I thought he improved a lot in in that sense. Um, I think he certainly still has, um, you know, a deficit, let's say, from a toughness and just kind of like strength perspective. You know, we saw him really struggle uh, as a finisher, uh, not, not in the preseason. He actually looked pretty good there. I mean, I think he's got some soft touch, um, but he doesn't really play with power. Uh, his pick roll finishing when he did get chances here in the regular season was poor. Uh, you know, again, showed that he could knock down threes. I think showed some pretty good passing touch as well, which we saw in the preseason and looked better as a defender. But um, he also didn't look like a guy who was going to play any power forward. Uh, I think he just looked a bit too immobile um, for, for my taste. Uh, I think in general, I, that was probably the thing I was most surprised by. He he looked like a very much just just a center to me. Um, whereas I think when he was coming into the NBA, he was I don't know billed as more of a um, you know maybe not like athletic in the explosive sense, but in, in terms of like smoothness and able to defend in space, do some of that, which um, I didn't necessarily see see as much since he landed in Milwaukee. So. Um, uh, we'll see. Um, I mean, again, as you said, just 22 years old, but especially with Robin having a second year on his contract, yeah, that kind of makes that second year non-guaranteed uh, number for Bender, you know, sort of of less value, right? And and again, I think it was smart for the Bucks to have that second year. I mean, basically, it's a, an option essentially for the Bucks next year, and I think that's a reason why I, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it, some team should claim him off waivers, right? Um, I would be a little surprised if if nobody wanted him on that contract because he's a minimum guy who you know again is non guaranteed next year. So those are the you know l- like Wood a year ago, Wood was claimed off waivers by the Pelicans. I would think that might happen here uh, with Bender with some team that has a roster spot open. Might as well take a flyer on him. Um, and then uh, you know that that's also kind of also important if he. Uh, is claimed off waivers. That yeah. means that his number doesn't count against the Bucks tax calculation either. Which, again, the Bucks were about three million under the tax, and I, I don't know. I have to double check what uh, Williams's number will be, but you know, he, his his minimum salary will also be only for a half year. So, um, you know, the Bucks are not really in any danger of of hitting the tax, and you know, especially if Bender um, ends up getting uh, picked up off waivers, I think the Bucks might actually save money <laughs> relative yeah, yeah. to the tax yeah. uh, because you're basically trading a half year minimum of, of Williams for, uh, you know, essentially what, what would have otherwise been a full year uh, minimum for Bender. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, would have been nice to see Bender have some, you know, ability to stick around, maybe see next year. Does he make some strides? Who knows? Right. Um, but instead, uh, you know, it looks like obviously his uh, career is destined to, uh, to carry on elsewhere and 
um, you know, you kind of wish him the best of luck. And um, it's, this is one of the challenges, I guess, one of the few downsides of, you know, being uh, looking at a team that, that is contending for a championship. You just don't have as much room to, uh, to experiment with, with young guys, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And, and obviously, I, I think we also have to mention, I mean, yes, Thanasis clearly from a talent perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if, this, if, if his last name was not Adetokounmpo, he's the obvious guy to wave. Um, but, you know, I think this is part of the deal. When you sign Thanasis' brother, you open that can of worms and uh, you're not really in a position to get rid of him. And again, you know, I look at it as Giannis takes up two roster spots, which yes, probably uh, more than deserves to take up two <laughs> roster spots, but it's obviously also not a typical situation. And, um, you know, uh, again, I don't think the locker room will have issues with people being mad that, you know, Dragon Bender got cut uh, instead of Thanasis. But, um, you know, again, it's, uh, it, it is a, definitely a strange dynamic that it makes, let's just say, the Bucks roster, the, the end of the Bucks bench is, let's just say this, uh, not as meritocratic as, uh, as you might uh, normally like it to be, but obviously some extenuating circumstances. Yeah, no question. And that is, uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned Thanasis. I know uh, last night, I mean, it, to me, it seemed like it, w- it was going to be very obviously Bender for the reasons that we've already gone through. Uh, it is worth mentioning that DJ has guaranteed money next season over $4 million. So uh, for, to to make the move with DJ, because you might point to the fact that, as you said, well, Bender got the minutes ahead of DJ two weeks ago. So why would Bender be the guy to get cut? But it, for that reason, as you mentioned, and, and I would agree. I mean, I would expect that some team's going to take a flyer on Bender here. And uh, yeah, I don't know what the dollar amounts are, but I've also seen a bunch of people say, well, maybe it could have been Sterling. Well, for me, uh, the problem with, if you wanted to go down the path of, of waving Sterling Brown is we've seen that George Hill uh, has had this hamstring injury, missed a bunch of games. If there's even one other injury, then Sterling Brown is going to have to play for, for better or worse or for whatever. We know he hasn't had a great season. He's going to have to play. So uh, it was just not going to get to that situation really with Bender unless, you know, complete disaster, you know, knock on wood, whatever, then maybe. But it was very unlikely. Sterling Brown is much closer to being in a position where he would have to play. Now, the other question, uh, I've had a bunch of times. You probably have as well, Frank. People said, "Well, can they cut another? Uh, can they pick up another buyout guy and cut someone else?" Well, yes. I mean, Sterling Brown right now. I've got spot track up here. It's it's around one point six million. His total for this season. So, as you already pointed to, if Bender does get picked up by another team, then that will pick up the rest of the salary for the rest of the season. I think you would know better than me, Frank. I think it was, it was around three million dollars was the figure we said for the tax. So, theoretically. If the Bucks said, okay, well, let's look at Wayne Allenton or let's look at Mo Harkless, another guy that has been thrown out there as a potential buyout guy, just to answer that question, they could go down that path providing that those dollar amounts do match up, which I think they probably would. Yeah, and even if even if uh, Bender or Sterling Brown, I mean, Brown would be another guy that I think would get picked up on waivers yeah, too, if, you, yeah. if, you, if you cut him loose. Um, even if you did not, um, get either of those guys, you know, even if you just had to eat their salaries, um, you know, then you'd have $3 million to spend on essentially two minimum contracts um, that are prorated. So the proration is important because it's, a, you know, less than half a, a season for both guys, both potential guys we're talking about, Marvin and whoever else. So um, again, I, I don't think the, the tax is going to really come into play here 
for the Bucks with with the buyout options that that are being discussed. Um, you know, and, and again, I, ironically, they they might actually because of the the waiver claim stuff, they they might actually have a lower tax number after this one and potentially the next one than than they would have otherwise had. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Harkless is is a, an interesting possible guy again. That you know that is. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Harkless to me is, um, he's definitely more of a wing than, than Marvin is at this point. Um, you know, it, it's a little strange to me that Harkless has gotten moved as much as he has. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised that the Blazers essentially kind of dumped him at the end of last season. Um, especially cause you know, he's been uh, a player that, you know, again, not a great three point shooter this year, 37% on very low volumes, 33% career. Um, he's been a pretty low volume guy his entire career, but, uh, just his kind of, you know, versatility defensively. Um, you would think that, that he'd be a little bit, maybe not in demand, but at a minimum that he wouldn't be, um, so easily discarded, you know, in a, yeah, in, a, yeah. in a league that values, um, wing defenders. So, um, yeah, he he would be interesting, and the other guy that I think is interesting from a buyout perspective, I'm not I'm not sure if he actually will get bought out. Um, Tyler Johnson from Phoenix mm. is in the last year of a massive contract. I don't know if he's in like 18 or 19 million this year, um, but he's another guy that uh, if he were cut loose, and again, I don't know if Phoenix is is going to go that direction, but um, you know, I, I just keep thinking back to last year. You know, Malcolm Brogdon goes down with an injury. All of a sudden, you know. They have they pick up Tim Frazier, um, you know. There, there was obviously a you know the, the fifty three minute Tim Frazier games and and uh, you know, it kind of was kind of a joke in, in some respects. But um, you know it, this year you you have Dante playing a much bigger role, but Malcolm is much more of a point guard. Obviously, we're seeing that in Indiana this year. Malcolm is much more a point guard than Dante is. Um, and if you were to lose Hill or Bledsoe for any sort of extended period, whether it was for a full season, whether it was for um, some period that might have included the playoffs, things like that. Um, I would think that you would have to think long and hard about, you know, hey, do we need another guy who can handle the ball? And, you know, Johnson, I think, has always been interesting because he's a decent three-point shooter. Um, he's got good size for the backcourt position. He can kind of play both both the one and the two to, to varying extents. I think he's a decent enough defender. You know, just kind of a versatile guy. Nothing kind of stand about, not a stand out nice in that respect. Um, but a guy that you know, again, if if your biggest concern is sort of Bledsoe insurance, which you know, again, we've talked about a lot. That's been something that's weighed on my mind. We talked a lot about Bogdan Bogdanovich um, early and and throughout this season as a potential trade target for that reason. Um, you know, I think that's that's a, a something to consider. And again, I don't know if the Bucks proactively do anything there, or maybe they just wait until something potentially happens. Um, you know, if, if neither of those guys get hurt, maybe they don't make any move at all. Uh, because interestingly for better or worse, uh, you know, we're seeing it now as well. The Bucks kind of continue to roll with Hill out. Um, they are pretty, pretty capable of playing with only one point card seeing regular minutes. Um, and that's a crescent to, I think Giannis, Chris, as well as Dante, you know, and the fact that those guys can all sort of take turns being, um, you know, initiators to varying extents and in their own, in their own ways. So uh, I don't know. Harkless will be an interesting guy to see where he lands. Um, any other guys that, that kind of stand up to you as potential buyout guys. I was kind of scrolling through some lists today. I don't know if there's anybody else that, that really uh, particularly stands out just because, you know, you, you don't need a four, you don't need a center. 
Um, you know, maybe you could use a wing, but again, buyout guys don't tend to be particularly good. Um, so I, I've kind of been circling back to, to maybe a ball handler, but again, what is the real quality of a ball handler you're going to get this time of year? Uh, oh, obviously yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty difficult to find somebody that's actually worth playing or, or worth actually keeping a roster spot for. You're trying to, you're trying to say you're not interested in Isaiah Thomas. Is that, is that what you're, is that what you're telling me, Frank? But no, I, I yeah. look, I, I, I mean, Harkless, honestly, like out of guys that remember you go back to the Clippers game in, in Milwaukee, uh, in December, Harkless was the guy that got the job on Giannis. I mean, this guy's like through his career has been a good defender. Uh, hasn't always shot the three well, but he's shooting 38% from three this season. Uh, he's in New York. I mean, this guy's definitely going to become available and a contender is definitely going to get him. Uh, I think the big thing just to point out that we, I think we've already sort of got to this point now, it should be clear, but obviously the Naxxas is not going anywhere and DJ Wilson has that money locked up. So for anyone that, whatever buyout target you think you might like or you would target, so for me, yeah, sure, give me Mo Harkless. I think this guy is genuinely a good player. Still only 26 years old. Like uh, he, he feels like he's been in the league for a lot longer than uh, a 26-year-old, but um, you know, Sterling Brown is going to be the guy. I mean, no one else really makes sense. Maybe Pat Connaughton, but I, I doubt, you know, Bud's shown a more willingness to play him. Uh, when you do the the subtraction through everyone and look at everyone's situation, it, it, that's probably who it would be. And uh, we know, obviously, uh, he's about to hit restricted free agency. So it's just worth keeping that in mind. Yeah, and it's, it is interesting that, you know, I mean, clearly this this Marvin thing was lined up before the deadline. Right, um, right, yeah. So it it is interesting that the Bucks did not actually make any moves. Right. Um, you would it's a educated guess that they looked long and hard at at options to trade. You know, certainly you would think DJ, um, if for no other reason than to get off the the money they owe him next year, if if Bud doesn't really see a future for him in Milwaukee. Um, and, and potentially Ursan as well, just given that obviously from a salary matching perspective, uh, his expiring salary gives you probably the most flexibility to, uh, to, to make acquisitions that would have been sort of in that mid range of, uh, of, of salary. So um, again, interesting that they were not able to pull a deal off. Um, I would say, you know, if you knew that you were going to get Marvin Williams, you would have been obviously I'd say more motivated to, uh, to move one of those other guys, just given that, you know, now you have a, now you have a logjam at the backup four, which is ironic given that you have a league MVP who plays the power forward position, and now you've got you know essentially three guys whose <laughs> probably only real position you know from a uh, you know and again could you play Urson or Marvin or even DJ in some lineups at the five? Well, yeah, sure, but uh, but that's obviously not something that you know again these guys are primarily fours, so. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. But I would say you your roster balance certainly would have made more sense if you had been able to move one of those guys. But um, they obviously didn't, and they still got Williams, which uh, you know I think is the I think it was the right move. Again, I, I think I, I have definitely it makes sense that there's a better chance of of Marvin Williams contributing in the playoffs than than Dragon Bender, and that's really the that's the lens I think through which you have to view any potential move here. Right? Is this guy going to help me more in the playoffs than? anybody that he might be potentially replacing. All right. So a big sort of 24, 36 hours for the Bucks. They pick up win number 45, 45 and seven 
Six and a half games clear of the Raptors, who have actually won 14 in a row. I mean, the Raptors, what they're doing is remarkable. We should probably talk about some of these other teams in the coming days here. But uh, Toronto, 14 in a row, despite all the injuries they've had. But uh, the Bucks still on 70 win pace and uh, <laughs> just have to finish... Uh, 15 and 15 to pick up that 60 win season uh, for the second year in a row, which is just absolutely ridiculous. But we expect by the time next next time we talk, uh, the Marvin Williams deal will be official. And uh, you know, we wondered what was going to happen after the trade deadline. We don't know whether the Bucks are done making moves, but uh, uh, hopefully we've gone through a few of the potential scenarios or or what at least is an option for the Bucks here. But uh, we've gone pretty long here. Uh, again, just outlining our social lives here on a Saturday night. But uh, the Bucks do play the Kings on Monday night. We're going to be back after that game. So this is sort of a Sunday, Monday pod, and then we'll, we'll be back again to record Monday night for Tuesday morning. So keep that in mind. But for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll catch you guys in a couple of days. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.